Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Steve is taking a little time, little time, not as much as I think he needs. Yesterday was his mom's funeral um, in Tulia. And God bless many of you that were there. Um, it meant the world to him, I know, um, that we were well represented in Tulia, Texas. So it was, it was neat to see. It was a good funeral. Um, you always wonder, as a pastor, how you're going to put together a funeral for your own mother, your own family. But Steve did an outstanding job, so it was, it was, a, it was a good, as good as bearing your mother can be. So, you know, it, it was. Well, I, I just had a, a part, but he, he, Steve did a great job. Elena uh, spoke, you know, and what would your wife say about your mother? <laughs> I mean, that's like the true test, right, of a real relationship. I mean, in my family, guns and knives would come out, right? <laughs> it, it, it would get ugly. Um, and then uh, uh, his mom's cousin uh, that she grew up with, she spoke, and uh, you know she was also deaf, like uh, Steve's mom, and just did an amazing, amazing job. So uh, Lily Grace, his daughter, sang. Another granddaughter read a poem. I mean, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. So her delivered the message. He knocked it out. Well, yeah. Thank you. It was. It was. It was. It was good all around. So please, um, you know, remember Steve, if, if you've lost your mom, you know, just like we're talking about, that doesn't go away quickly or maybe it shouldn't. Um, if you still have your mom, Rob, listen to your mom. One day she'll be gone and uh, you'll, you'll miss her more than you know. So let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll jump in. Father our God, we get up early, we drink coffee and eat burritos to study your word, to try to try to understand. But in the next breath, O oh Lord, life happens and death happens. We lose those that have always been there for us. Help us, O oh Lord, to know that we don't study in vain. This is not a hobby. This is not a, a thing we do on the side. This matters, for you try to prepare us for what is to come. You prepare us for the time that we will say goodbye. Whether we're kids or adults, we're going to lose our parents one day. We're going to send them on. Help us today to begin to understand what you taught us about that, how we can prepare ourselves, prepare those around us, and live a life that is looking forward to the life to come. We pray that you be with Steve and his sisters, all the grandkids, as they are flooded with memories, surrounded by people who care about them. Help them to feel that it's well with mom today. She can hear, and she can hear you. She can hear Steve and all the kids. Help us to live for the world to come as you prepared it for us. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Big question today. You know the answer, but we want to dig in this. 
What was Jesus doing here on earth? Why did he come? What, what was his, in his timer, his day timer, what was the point of all of this? Show us the way, delivers from sin. I mean, all the right answers. It's, it's, it's multi-levels here. Today we're going to get into, it's a success for him. He, in his little quarter of Galilee in the North Shore, is hitting all the, the right notes. People are excited beyond belief. He can't go anywhere without a crowd. He is a celebrity. The Gospels tell us it's at one point so many people are trying to see him there. I mean, it's packed in. It's, it's wall to wall. You know, it's Walmart, uh, Black Friday kind of. Everybody's packed in. Everything's going wonderful. We have to look carefully at his behavior when everything is going wonderful. What does Jesus really want to do? What does he really want from us? There's, like I say, multiple things. Yes, he's here to deliver us. Yes, he's here to show us the way. But deeper than that, what is, what is he trying to teach, trying to do? So let's pick up in verse 27. For the second time, Mark tells us, amazement gripped the audience. He's just done an a exorcism. And they began to discuss what happened. What sort of new teaching is this? So again, this is the second reference to, uh, he's teaching with authority. It's Shimcha. Uh, this is not what the other rabbis do. Jesus is saying something new. This is biblical in, in their, their recognition. Um, like, like the quote we looked at, Joshua didn't have to say, hey, my teacher was Moses because it was a big dang deal. So Jesus is making the impression to them, this is a big dang deal. Uh, what sort of new teaching is this? They ask excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey him. The news of what he has done spread quickly throughout the entire area of Galilee. After Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they went over to Simon and Andrew's home, and James and John were with them. Simon's mother-in-law, here we go, was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. He went to her bedside as he as he looked by as he took her hand took her by the hand and helped her to sit up the fever suddenly left and she got up and prepared a meal for them and that ladies is your <laughs> I hope you're feeling better honey in the kitchen here we go no um there, there, there's a little culture there. You know, it's a great honor in order to make the meal for the rabbi. And so this is how she would uh, show her appreciation. But so right out of the gate, Jesus has performed this miracle. And Peter and Andrew are like, oh, my mom's sick. So, you know, you've just done this here in the synagogue. Why don't you come on over and, and take care of my mom? You know, is. As crazed as we got with COVID and you know all, all of all of the insanity that that was, we have no idea uh, compared to the ancient world. Um, what do we do before penicillin? 
died. You died. Uh, you either, you know, gutted it out. And so little things such as a fever uh, really, really could take a toll. You know, the life expectancy uh, is 40, 50. Um, so no offense, gentlemen, but we'd all be toast. <laughs> it, it'd be over. Um, so it is, it is a significant thing. Now, Jesus doesn't miss a beat, right? Well, question? So Jesus is in late 20s, early 30s at this time? Uh, he's, yeah, 30, in his 30s. So he's, he's middle-aged? He is, he is. He's not a young, young stripling, yeah. Um, as the rabbis say, he has a little gray in the beard. Uh, because, I mean, you, you want somebody with a little gray in the beard to listen to, um, you don't want to, you know, a fresh beard to tell you something. So, uh, he's, he's not a young pup. So instantly he, he goes over, helps, um, it's, it's this miracle. Uh, and then we're going to follow up in, in 32. That evening at sunset, many sick people and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. And a huge crowd of people from all over Capernaum. So again, this is the largest Jewish city on the North Shore, about a thousand people. Most of these little villages are in the hundreds. This is the big town with Roman garrison. So people are, are just swamping in. They gather outside the door to watch. So Jesus healed great numbers of sick people who had many different kinds of diseases. And he ordered many demons to come out of the victims. But because they knew who he was, he refused to allow the demons to speak. The next morning, Jesus awoke long before daybreak. So this is just like us, gentlemen. Long before daybreak and went out alone into the wilderness to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. They said, everyone is asking for you. But he replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too, because this is why I came. So they traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and expelling demons from many people. This is what I mean. Jesus is hitting critical mass. He's got a huge, huge crowd. First question, why, why does Jesus heal? Why does he cast out demons? There's not really one answer, but why is he doing this? To uh, help others and then also prove something. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he really cares, um, like he did with Simon Peter. Again, you run into possessed people, sick people. Again, we always have to keep in mind, they're in the middle of a war. The, this is not just normal mulberry day. This is devastation. This is Rome suppressing the population, exploiting the population. Uh, you also, as we talked about last week, have this bizarre Greek Hellenistic culture that's pushing, you know, get possessed, it will make your life better. I mean, just all this rot culturally. Uh, so there, there's so much wrong with society. So Jesus sort of jumps in the middle of it, rolls up his sleeves, and goes to work. He, he is healing just as fast and furious as he can. But does he do this every day for the next three years? Why not? What made these people special? Why did they get healed, but Bethsaida down the 
the shore. Why didn't, I mean, he says he's going there, but he doesn't do what he, he did in Capernaum in every area he goes to. Why not? I thought he cared about people. He definitely is, is, uh, influencing all elements of society. And he, like you say, he's an incredible reputation. We talked Wednesday that the leader of the synagogue in Capernaum comes to Jesus and asks for help with his daughter, which is, is a huge, huge step. This man kneels before Jesus and he's sort of like the mayor, the, the, the most influential religious figure in Capernaum. And he, he bowed before Jesus. Huge, huge. So Jesus is getting a crowd. I mean, he's getting Capernaum excited. And he leaves. First he steps out, and then he says, we're going somewhere else. Does he need to teach his apostles a lot of different things so that they can be prepared for life? For, for sure, for sure. But he could have done that in Capernaum. Um, he, 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 I think you're getting on to it. He, there's a big lesson he's trying to teach here. Why, why does he step back? Um, I'm just giving time to think about it. <laughs> I was here, now I'm gone, y'all got time. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he wants to be known more as a healer than a teacher also. If he was just healing him, maybe he'd consider just a healer. Yeah. Now he he's he's broken the mold, right? Because rabbis generally are not known as like uh, healers, like like you say. They're, rabbis are different than prophets. Sometimes they overlap, but but not not really. Um, so he he he's shown them, you know, I'm a rabbi. He's going to these synagogues, and we need to hear that over and over. They're welcoming him. They're they're amazed, um, and then he sort of raises the ante and says, "Oh, well, look, I I, I can do this kind of stuff too." It's all, I think, towards this path where they realize, oh my gosh, he really is the Messiah. I mean, we sort of get to see this process of discovery. One one of the things that may be hard for us to get, but we have to hold on to it. What did Mark, when we started this study, say all of this was about? What what is what is he proving here? What 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 is the thing that we're we're reading? A basora. This is the basora. This is the gospel. Basora is just the word that Jesus used. Gospel is the word that we've translated that as. And that's a specific moment, a specific prophecy, a specific world-changing event. And the connection to Jesus teaches with authority, I think, is what Mark's trying to bring out. They're saying the Bible is happening now. Scripture is is unfolding. The Besorah, and I'll repeat this over and over, and hopefully till we get it, but the Besorah was a specific prophecy, a series of them that came at the end with the prophets that said there will come a day when God invites all of the exiled Jewish people back to Mount Zion, back to Jerusalem. They will come back from all over the world, and as they come back, Gentiles that have forsaken their own gods will join them and worship the God of Israel. So, in a sense, humanity will come back to this place, this mountain of God. They will come to worship God. In that place, the Messiah will be revealed. The Messiah will begin to change the world. 
Evil will be pushed back. Darkness will be overcome. Sin will be done away with. Let me read you uh, part of this prophecy. It comes out of Isaiah uh, 35. And if, if you really want to delve deeper into these, Isaiah, especially the, the latter half of Isaiah, is just full of it. Um, the, the, so much of this, this Messiah prophecies, we call them, but they call them Basora. So picking up verse 4 of chapter 35, uh, Isaiah says, Say to those who are afraid, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unstop the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will shout and sing. Springs will gush forth from the wilderness and streams of water in the desert. The parched parched ground will become a pool, and the springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grasses and reeds and rushes were flourished while jackals once lived. So there's a lot to this. But this is the moment when the people have returned. This is the moment of the Messiah. This is, as they say, the transition from the world that is to the world that come. And so what's supposed to happen when the Messiah comes? What happens to the blind? They see. The lame will walk. So these people, like you were alluding to, it, it's proof. It's, it's more than proof. It's a prophecy that's coming to fruition. They're not just seeing, oh, there's a medical clinic down the street. They're seeing that this moment, this gospel, this basora is happening, that the Messiah And I think this is one of the ways that Jesus is really introducing himself as the Messiah. Yes, I'm a rabbi. Yes, I can teach you this. But I've got much more. That This isn't your regular uh, rabbi kind of thing. This is the moment. And that's what Mark really wants to stress for us. um, That Jesus is ushering in, giving example, uh, being the first... Like Paul will say, the, 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 not the first Adam, but the second Adam, uh, sort of to, to reverse all of this. Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? Every Tuesday at noon, right? He fed the 5,000, he performed that miracle, and he said, if you come back every Tuesday, we'll, we'll have some more for you. Why did he do it once? And not regularly. Doesn't he care about people? His focus is eternal. Yes. It doesn't mean he ignores the temporal. And this is where really getting into Jesus, I think, is is important for us because God still acts this way with us. These miracles are important. They show compassion. He loves us. You know, as human as Jesus is, he is still very divine. And a lot of times he's, I think, shocked at just the the reality of us wallowing in our squalor. You know, what, what it is when we face death, what it is when we get possessed. He he has compassion, he really cares. But he is very selective, almost like a uh, you know, targeted bombing in the way that he does 
his miracles, the way he does these things. Because what's happening to those long lines of people that are getting healed? What? Hmm? They're, they're, they're telling others, but what kind of relationship do they have with Jesus at that point? Hmm? Limited. It's limited. And this is, I think, God's danger with us. We very quickly love and get addicted to God doing stuff for us. Now, He wants to, for sure. But at the end of the day, His goal is not to make us dependent on Him. I mean, wouldn't you love, when you were growing up, for your parents to take you to McDonald's every day and buy you a toy every day? If they love you, why, why don't you do that? God's purpose is not to baby us, not ultimately to do it for us. And you'll see, it's important as we go through Mark, see Jesus do this. The kind of relationship that we're going to have is not me constantly being your genie, constantly being your problem solver. And it's, it's easy to put Jesus in this mode. Let, let me try to show you what I'm talking about. Um, John 21. This is after Jesus has been resurrected. He is appearing to the disciples, and Thomas, you guys know, has missed all of this. And so Thomas doubts, famously the doubting Thomas. So Jesus, in a sense, performs a miracle here. This is the 21st chapter of John. Verse 26, uh, this is chapter 20, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. <laughs> and I think this is Jesus' sense of humor here. You know, everybody's hiding in here, the door's locked, everything's fine, and he just, hello, you know, scares the tar out of them. I mean, just, whoop, poof. I'm here. So the first thing he has to say, um, shalom, you know, peace, peace be with you. Peter, come off the ceiling. You're okay. Um, then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands. Put your fingers into my wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. So he's heard the conversation even though he wasn't there. Uh, again, you know, go ahead and touch me. I'm really here. Look at my scars. But then verse 29, really what I think we need to hold on to today. Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. You know, blessing is the place God wants us to be. Blessing is when you're in God's will. In a sense, God can push put wind behind your sail because you're making the right decisions. He can in, <clears throat> increase that. When we're making the wrong decisions and we're in the wrong place, God has to push the other way, you know, try to slow us down to cause us to think. But when we're blessed, it's not just that God is doing it for us, it's that we're making the right decisions and God can help us along the way. This is key to Jesus' ministry. It's key to the message in Mark. And I think it's the key to understanding why God sometimes is hard to see in our life. 
why sometimes he seems quiet and other times he seems very active. He wants us to believe, to have faith, to not be, no offense, Kurt, but I always think of puppies, right? Dogs. I mean, come here, here, here you go, that's a little boy, and here, here's your treat. No, 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 go sit down. That's not what God has asked us to do. We're not his pets. He's not going to give us a treat every time we, we do something right. He's going to raise us, like he said, like children, to be adults so that we can make the right choices. The danger of what's happening in Capernaum is what he was worried about was going to happen in Nazareth. You think I'm here to just do miracles for you. You think I'm here to do it for you. I'm here to teach you. I'm here to show you the Basaurus happened. I do care about you. And because I care about you, I'm going to grow you up. I'm going to teach you that, in a sense, you don't need me holding your hand all the time in order to do what's right. I'll show you what you should do, and you should do it. Now, certainly God stays active, and he'll help when we're making those good decisions. He's the best parent, best grandparent ever. He'll he'll celebrate and push and enhance. But he's not here to... Again, be Santa Claus, be, be our genie. Does this make sense? Why do we have such a hard time in modern society uh, with this, this notion? I get more frustrated than I should when people tell me, well, Jesus will take care of it. Well, you're not wrong, but you're not right either. Yes, God has a plan. And he has plans that will get past the mistakes that you make. Uh, but that's not what he wants. He, he doesn't want you to be <laughs> the 30-year-old living at home, right? Um, you you got to go out and, and, and live this life. You've got to face Rome. You've got to, you know, Thomas, you, you've got to believe. I'm not always going to be here, Thomas, to give you the proof that you need. You need to be able to look back and remember what I've done so that you can see what you can do. This life is not about God proving himself to us, ultimately. It's the proving ground where God shows us what we can do. Now, certainly we can't do it without him. We can't really make anything good, do anything good without him. But we've got to play our part. We've got to to make that choice. So either I'm doing a really good job or a really terrible job. <laughs> so let me ask again: Does this is this is this gelling? He's not going to spoon feed the rest of our life. He wants us to grow up, mature, become believers, and do things on our own, do, take action on our own, spread the word, uh, be his disciples. But he's not going to be there for every crisis to solve every miracle that we need. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, I think he'll be there, but he's not going to act. Um, you know, and it, it maybe, you know, the, those of you that are better parents or have older kids, I mean, what, what do you do when your kids have a crisis when they're first married or, you know, they're off in college? And do you swoop in and solve it? Or do you, 
you know, you, you, I'm here if you want to ask. I, I'll help. But, um, you know, true, true confessions of my incredibly dysfunctional family. My sister, I'm going to pick on her. My dad bought her a house. Um, my dad runs a construction company in El Paso, so it's, it's not, it's, I mean, it was a big deal, but it's not that big a deal. So, my sister, the financial planner that she is, you know, was given the keys to this house. She mortgaged the house and then couldn't make the payments. That was a bad day in my family. Um, so, you know what my dad did? Paid it all off. And then she got another house. And the process started over again. So my dad is, is incredible. He's generous, he's kind, but is it doing her any good? Um, your exactly. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm in a different place. I don't, I don't, I got, you take care of my house. I got a house. Uh, my father has many houses. Yeah. Um, if you learn anything this morning, understand that about God. He is not going to bless you to the point that it rots you, that it's, it's going to lead you away from him ultimately because we very quickly become addicted to the miracles the the, the exorcisms the the houses you know god you're supposed to do for me that's exactly how we got in trouble in the garden because we'll very quickly devolve into a place where we're telling god what he's supposed to do for us and it sounds spiritual right I, I love people, and I'm, I'm being grumpy today, but, you know, they pray, in the name of Jesus, you have to... It doesn't work that way, okay? You can't say Jesus' name, and then he has to pay off your credit card bill, okay? He will help you learn to control your impulses, and he'll give you scenarios, and yes, sometimes, just out of love, amazing things happen to us. And I think it's his attempt to, you know, maybe give us a fresh start to start over. But he loves us so much, he's not going to let us destroy ourselves. He he is going to withdraw sometimes. He is going to go to different places. I think he's watching. He'll be there. But again, he's trying to teach you what you can do. No, he's not. Yeah, he's not here to ring the bell, and you know, here, here we, here we get our our food. Is it fair to say that if miracles don't take, Pharaoh would have let Israel go? Oh, absolutely. And the people would have believed in the wilderness. You know, thirty days after they're out of Egypt, they're like, eh, forget it. You know, let's go back. Really, the frogs and the the party of the Red Sea. You got nothing, nothing anymore. You know, we devolve into God. What have you done for me lately? I mean, it, we, we're we're twisted. If He lets us get that way, so as much as He'll invest in Capernaum and these towns, it's a it's a controlled kind of thing. All right, well, good. Let's go back to Mark. We can we can push on a little bit. So Jesus withdraws. He gets away from people. Help me think that through. Why? I mean, he, he's withdrawing. He's he's getting away. But what does that say about the person of Jesus? 
I mean, why, why does he get away from people? Yeah. He goes and prays. Maybe he's telling God how bad it is. You wouldn't believe what I saw today. It's, it's horrible. Not that I'm a big fan of, of them, but to be fair, the way that Jesus prayed, at least the way he was raised to pray, is often very different than we imagine. Um, I like the way we generally pray, um, that it's more of an honest conversation with God. He's trying to show you things about yourself. He's revealing things about him. But the prayers in Jesus' day were very uh, formulaic. They have um, called, the, the Jews call them the Amidah, uh, the standing prayers. These are the regular prayers that you pray throughout the day. And uh, they're they're funny. I shouldn't say they're funny, but there's there's prayers for everything, and they're always the barukatas. You know, blessed are you, O Lord. So in the morning, when you get up and wash your face and hands, there's a prayer for that. Um, when you get ready for the day, there's a great prayer. I'll bring it to you someday about thanking God that we have just the right number of holes in our body. <laughs> That you have a hole that goes in and a hole that comes out. (laughs) They thought of everything, right? Um, But how bad would it be, right, if we had a hole in and no hole out? It would be really terrible. But it's it's this appreciation of God's design for us. So when they say he goes off and prays, it's not just this wild freelancing, you know, he's talking and whatever. Uh, He certainly, I think, is doing some of that. But there's regular prayers that Jesus is engaged in. Um, Steve does a much better job um, of bringing those forth than I do. And it's it's important to just understand that he did that and uh, there's some value to it. When he puts together the Lord's Prayer for us, um, again, one of the things you ask your rabbi is teach us how to pray. And what they mean is what of the Amidah prayers are most important to you? So what Jesus did is he took portions of the Amidah prayers and he put them in a single prayer. So it's sort of a summation. Every line that we have in the Lord's Prayer comes from a line in the Amidah. So it's just really appreciating what, what Jesus was doing and putting it putting it all together. So that's in many ways probably what he's doing in in the wilderness he's doing his daily prayers he's he's undoubtedly talking to god as well but then he says we've got to go on to other towns so he travels throughout the region of galilee preaching in synagogues and expelling demons from many people now this is huge in what it doesn't say where does he go what kind of towns is he going to Jewish towns. He's not um, going to Tiberias, which is the big, big town, right where he's at. I mean, it's it, down the shore. It's 10,000 people. If you want a crowd, Jesus, go to Tiberias. There's Jews in Tiberias. They're not great Jews. Um, there's a lot of Romans and a lot of Greeks and a lot of possession and a lot of stuff going on. But if you want mass numbers of people, why don't you go there? Why doesn't he go there? 
want to make a spectacle of himself. He doesn't want people who think he's a magician. Yeah, he's he doesn't have a good PR campaign, right? Jesus, you need more exposure. You, you need to get out there. He's he's not about that. He's very strategic in where he engages, who he engages. His primary focus, as hard as it is to sound or to say, is his disciples. I think Tom said it earlier. These are the ones that are going to carry on the message. Doesn't mean he ignores other people. Um, and we, we should say there's sort of the, the 12, and you'll see him do this over. There's the four in the middle that are like his real, real investment. And then there's sort of a larger group that also begins to follow him. A lot of, a lot of women, um, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, Nicodemus, a lot of others who aren't technically disciples but are, but are joining that. So he'll focus hard on that group so they will continue the message after he's gone. But as far as getting the largest number of people he possibly can to hear his voice, he just won't do it. He's capable of it, and that's what I wanted you to see today. He very quickly, with his miracles, could turn this whole country upside down. But he's not doing it. Intentionally, he's not doing it. So as much as I'm making this point, look at verse 40. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. So he's just done all this, and he stepped away. I'm not going to just be your beck and call servant. And then a guy shows up. And this is another beautiful sight of Jesus, where he says, yeah, I'll heal you. Uh, always, it's, it's a teaching point. It's a man with leprosy. If you want to, you can make me well again, he said, moved with pity. This is what I was talking about earlier. I think God really does know how hard it is uh, for us. Um, God never invented leprosy. You know, where your body rots and parts fall off. and uh, Nobody is glad to see a leper, right? Um, you're, you're ostracized from society. So I think this leper has heard from other people some of the miracles that Jesus has done, that Jesus, in a sense, wants the spark. He, Jesus will always say this to people with the miracles. Your faith, your belief, and we, we twist and turn this, right, that somehow we have healed ourselves, or if we believe strong enough... The water, hot water heater, as great as it is, is not going to work unless there's a pilot light. Jesus is saying, you got to have a pilot light. you got to be making choices like you're, you're called to. You've got to be righteous. You've got to be loving. You've got to be true. You've got to have that, that spark. I can take care of the rest. I'll help you if you light the fire. But you got to light the fire. This leper gets it. And moved with pity, Jesus touched him. And again, do you normally give bear hugs to lepers? Jesus has been touching um, Simon's mother. Um, when he raises a dead girl, he'll touch her hand. All these things that they're not supposed to do. Um, but Jesus, I think, is making the point that his goodness can overcome failing as long as we have that spark. So he says, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared. 
The man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way and told him sternly, Go right over to the priest and let him examine you. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Take along the offering required in the law for those who have been healed of leprosy, so everyone will have proof of your healing. Jesus is not throwing the Old Testament law out the window. He's actually telling this man to follow the law in order to be certified as clean so he can be reintroduced in society. So Jesus is saying, hey, go go do what you need to to be certified. Keep your mouth shut. Yeah, you offer sacrifices, thanksgiving, um, that you've been healed. Again, Jesus is not wanting credit. He's not wanting to turn this into another, hey, let's heal all day uh, so I can do what you want. And what does this guy do? <laughs> but as the man went on his way, he spread the news, telling everyone what had happened. As a result, such crowds surrounded Jesus that he couldn't enter the town anywhere publicly. He had to stay out in the secluded places, and people from everywhere came to him there. So, yeah. Every time I hear that, didn't he know... He was getting blabbered. He did. But again, I think it's the compassion um, that Jesus, yeah, okay. You know, I, I'm here to do a job, but I'm, I'm willing to make an exception. Jesus will be very clear that he comes first for the Gentile, or first for the Jew, and then later it will be for the Gentile. But he runs across a Gentile woman, a Syrio-Phoenician woman, a Phoenician woman, a Canaanite woman. She goes, well, can't you help me at all? And he goes, yeah, I'll help you. Um, so he, he's ready, and I think that's just our God. He'll, he'll bend, he'll love. If we're trying, if, if we're making just that basic effort, yeah, he'll interrupt things. But what he's not going to let it turn into, because does he stay around and deal with these crowds? Nope, I'm, I'm not. I'm getting out. I'm not going to just do this for three years or however long he could have stayed. I'm going to help people that believe, that have that flame going, but I'm not just going to set up a food kitchen and a hospital and call it good. Any last questions? Yeah. You know, I really would love to have that discussion because I, I don't know if I have the 100% answer. There, uh, what we're talking about is there's a, a Pew Research study that's just come out in 1990. Uh, Christianity was 90% of the American population, according to Paul. So now we're down to 63% in 2022. They're saying by 2045, we'll be a minority. And so what, what is going on? Is it just people that have been so blessed that we don't care anymore? Is it God pruning us? You know, he's cutting back on the foliage so that we produce a real fruit. Is it this? You know, we're glad when God gives us good economies and wins wars. But other than that, we don't have a use for him. I think it's it's a big question and one I want to figure out. I do know that a lot of the loss, church losses, frankly, are very liberal um, mainline churches um, that have just gone off the rails. And so I do think God's pulling back from a lot of them. 
I do. Um, but it's a big question for us as we go forward. How do we buck this trend? Um, or what is maybe a better question, Kurt, is what God, is, God want us to do in the midst of all this? So, Jane, I, I don't have the answer. Um, it's, it's, we have. We've been told it's coming. Yeah. And it's not like it's the first time it ever happened in history where we were the minority. Do you think it would be better for us as a church if we were? Minority? Yeah, in the country. No. Almost guaranteed persecution or something like that. Yeah. Like we've talked about it before, God doesn't guarantee we're not going to suffer, right? But I don't want to. It's the largest religion in the world, right? Right. So we're losing ground in America, but we're gaining ground in Africa and other areas. China, yeah. It's the, it's the largest growth of Christianity in our history. And it's just not happening in the West. Yeah. Yeah. I just Christianity I think has been the glue that's held America together. I think it's really the secret to our success. And man, I'd hate for us to learn the hard way that without Christianity we will not be. I saw constitution. Yeah. So without that, it may not happen. Yeah, as great as our system is, unless you have Christian people in that system, it just doesn't work. Yep. And if God will prune the chosen people, if He'll send them into exile, we're kidding ourselves that we think it won't happen to us. So, but this is the hour, gentlemen, that we're here. Rob, this is the world that you're gonna you're gonna face. How old will Rob be in 2045? You'll be prime time, buddy. Please get it fixed. All right. All right. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, I think we get it. We think we understand you today of what you want from us, what you want to do for us, what you're willing to do, but also your deep sense of love. You're not going to make us helpless. You're not going to bless us when we're damning ourselves. Help us, O Lord, to see you with us, but teaching us. See you performing miracles so that we can perform miracles. Help us to learn to make the choices we're called to do. Lord God, we do humbly pray for our nation. We are lost. We are sheep without a shepherd. For Lord, we have abandoned our shepherd. Help us to come back. We know we will learn your lesson one way or another, but we pray that we will choose to light that fire of belief to have faith not in all the things of this world but in you you who have made our nation been the foundation for the blessings that we've had ask us to be a light on the hill 
may we return to you within this room, within our families, within this church, within our country. May we get it right. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.